Hey everybody, welcome to Fellowship of the Rockies and we are so thankful for you for clicking in and, and viewing and watching this service wherever you're watching from and, and, uh, and so we just want to welcome you. We want to tell you thank you for joining us and thank you for being a part of, of this service. And so we're in a series, we're walking through the book of 2 Corinthians, and so this week we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can click to or turn to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and, and if not, no worries, because the scripture is going to come up on the screen as I, as I read them and we walk through this message. So we've been in this series called 2 Corinthians, it's out of the book of 2 Corinthians, and the title of this message is, is The Confident Christian. Paul begins talking about where our confidence is found and then where our confidence is not found. So let me just start off by just simply asking you a question, and, and that is this. Where do you find your confidence? I mean, where, where do you get your confidence from? Is it external or is it internal? Is it, is it something that's external, whether it's in, in a person, it may be a spouse, it may be a, a supervisor, it may be a politician, uh, it, may be, it may be even a pastor. And so do you find that you get your, your confidence in, in, in a person? Or, or maybe, maybe it's the economy. Maybe it's when the economy is, is, is on the uptick or the stock market is rising and your investments are rising. You find yourself a little bit more confident than, than normal. Maybe it's in your health, whether you have good health, and that's what gives you confidence. Or, or maybe it's in people. Maybe it's in the people around you and that if everybody's happy with you and happy with your decisions, and they're pleased with you, then you, you seem to have confidence. And so is it in the external or is it in the internal to where you'd say, you know what, I've, I've come to the place where I found my confidence in God. And listen, as Christians, we know, we know the church answer. When someone asks us, where do you find your confidence? We know the church answer is simply this. We say, oh, it's internal. My confidence comes from God. That's what the scripture says. The psalm says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So we know that's the church answer, but we also know that the tension is real. We also know that the struggle can be real of where we find or where we place our confidence, especially when we go through struggle, especially when we go through unsettling times and this and this, this, this struggle. The struggle can be real for every one of us. And so Paul begins talking in the local church. He begins talking in 2 Corinthians about this issue about where he finds his confidence. And in fact, is it's really interesting to me, but, but in these six verses, he uses the word confidence one time. And then three different times, he uses the word sufficient, sufficiency, or competent. It's really where we get out of the verb form, but it's really where we get the word to be qualified. And so he really only uses the word confidence or confident once, sufficiency, sufficient, competent, three times in that. And so Paul begins helping us to understand about this issue of being confident in, in, in what we do. And so here, here's something that's, that's interesting to me, but when we, when we went into the, the quarantine all the way back in, in March when the perfect storm hit and, and we're trying to navigate through a, a, you know, a global pandemic, a global uh, recession, a highly volatile volatile election year, I started doing some research and I started doing some study and I studied two different areas. I, I first went back and started studying the, the pandemic of 1918, 1919, and then how the culture responded to that. It's been amazing to me that see the parallels between what happened then and what happened now and how people responded. So that's been amazing. The second thing that may surprise you that I started studying and really haven't talked about, I started studying just the local church. How did the local church respond? Most importantly, I looked at church history and most importantly, 
reportedly, I looked at American church, the American church. Here's what, here's what I found. It was like shocking to me. And this is the same thing that was going on there in the church in Corinth. But here's a shocking find that I found walking through studying American church history is this, is that when, when the culture is in crisis, when, there's, when the church is in crisis, that, that sometimes, most of the time, in fact, is the majority of time, the persecution from within the church was greater than the persecution from without. The persecution from the culture into the church was, was less than the persecution from Christian to Christian. That Christians, when, they, when the culture went through crisis, Christians began persecuting one another. They began attacking one another. They began criticizing one another about the decisions they were making. They're dividing over personal opinions. That's why Paul in Romans 14 was like pleading with the church that please do not divide over personal opinions. And he was, he was crying out for unity. That's why Jesus' last words and last prayer to the church was simply this. He prayed that we would be one, that we would find unity. And so you find that a lot of times when churches go through crisis, they begin attacking one another. See, this is what happened to Paul. Paul is there in the church in Corinth. Remember, it was a church that he had planted. He had been there 18 months, stayed there 18 months. He came back a couple of times. Many of the people in that church came to Christ under his ministry. Uh, he discipled them. He walked with them. And all of a sudden, now they're asking Paul. They said, Paul, we're going to need some letters of recommendations. We're going to some, need some letters of, of recommendations to prove whether you're qualified or not or not to lead us. And, and you, can say, you can see in the text, and we'll look at that, that this brought Paul a lot of frustration. I mean, after all, they knew him. They had served alongside of him together. They, they knew him. And Paul begins talking about this issue of confidence, where his confidence is found. It's not found in people. It's not found in the external. It's found in the internal. But we're going to learn this, that, that Paul, had, uh, Paul had to learn this as he grew in his Christian life. And there's some tensions in Scripture, and Scripture tells us that we need to be humble and we need to be confident. And so how do you, how do you reconcile those two virtues together? In fact, is Paul writes, <coughs> excuse me, in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he writes, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, he starts writing about this issue of confidence, and, and confidence is necessary, right? A good athlete that doesn't have confidence in his or her ability will most likely sit on the bench. A, a public speaker who doesn't have confidence in their ability, that can't remember their notes or can't remember their talk or their speech or whatever, will not be very effective in public speaking. And confidence, what Paul says, is also essential in, in the Christian life. Our confidence, what he says, enhances our, our ministry, enhances our personal testimony. In fact, as Paul is writing in, and he writes to, to young Timothy, and Timothy was a man that, that he had mentored in the ministry, and he writes to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you lack confidence, I don't know if you ever thought about this, if you lack confidence, you will never fulfill what God has called you to, to fulfill. You never will fulfill God's plans for you in your life. If you don't have a certain level amount of confidence, you're not going to be able to lead. You're not going to be able to lead a Bible study, lead a mission trip, lead a life group. 
sing on, on, on a worship team, encourage others. You will never be able to use the gifts God has given you effectively unless you have a certain amount of confidence. I mean, can you imagine if you were going into surgery and like your surgeon told you, hey, I think I can do this surgery. I mean, it would be difficult, right? Actually, just real quickly, actually, I, I had someone tell me that one time. It didn't instill a lot of confidence in me. It was a friend. And many, many years ago, I had to have a hernia repair. And so the surgeon that, that, that did that at the time went to the church. He has soon moved, moved away and lives in another city. But he went to our church. He was a friend of mine. We scheduled the surgery. The day, the day before the surgery, I get a text message from him, like really early in the morning, and he says, hey, listen, I've scheduled a tea time. You're going to play golf with me. This is, you have to do this. No excuses. I won't take no for an answer. Uh, you know, cancel whatever you have to cancel. Just, just 11 o'clock, golf with me today, and then you can go home, and then you can prep for surgery for, for the next day. And so I honestly thought he was in a crisis. I honestly thought he needed to talk to me or something like that. So I met him out at the golf course, and we're walking up the number two fairway. And so I couldn't wait any longer, so I look over at him, and, and I say, hey, listen, what was the emergency? Why, 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 did, why did we have to play golf today? And so he looked at me, and he says, well, he said, Charlie, I wanted to play golf with you one more time in case I kill you tomorrow. Now, he laughed. I guess that's some surgeon humor. I don't know. But he thought it was funny. I, I don't know if I thought it was funny. And so after he said that, he, he, he approached his ball, and then he swung, and he totally missed his ball. And that didn't give me a lot of confidence. So I, I asked him, I says, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I says, when you do surgery, do you mark and cut, or you, do you just cut? And he said, well, that's a crazy question. I've never been asked that question. Why do you ask? And I'm like, well, now I'm a little concerned with your hand-to-eye, eye-to-hand coordination. And so I'm a little concerned with that. And I just need to know. And he started dying laughing. He said, hey, listen, I, I got to tell you, a hernia repair surgery for a surgeon, I mean, it's just kind of routine. It is no big deal. You'll be fine. I just wanted to play golf. But it didn't instill a lot of confidence in me. So we need to talk about this issue of confidence. How do we navigate the tension between finding our confidence in the Lord, the temptation to find our confidence other, way, uh, other places, or this tension between being humble and confident at the same time? So three things for you this, 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 this in, in this sermon about where our confidence comes from. The first thing is this. Our confidence will never come from people. Our confidence will never come from people. We're just going to start walking through these six verses. And starting in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? In other words, what Paul said, do we need some external con uh, uh, confidence here? I mean, do we need something external here? I've, I've, I planted this church. I've been with you all of these years. I've ministered to you. You know this. And really, now you're asking for a letter of recommendation? Because, see, Paul, when you look at his life, Paul was not out to impress people. And I'm telling you, if anyone could impress people, Paul had the credentials that he could have rolled his credentials out. Pharisee's a Pharisee. I mean, I mean Paul was, was studied under, under some of the most noted theologians of the day. And Paul had credentials. He, he was a world traveler. He started multiple churches. He started multiple congregations. And he, he had the credentials if he wanted to use them. See, it was not uncommon in their culture, just like it's not uncommon in our culture, for people to try to 
throw out their, they're like their highlight reel to impress others. In, in their day, they would use these letters of recommendations to, give, to, to qualify them or to establish them whenever, whenever they would travel. They didn't have credit cards like we do in our day where you could, you could secure a room with a credit card. They knew your credit rating and some of these other things. And so what they would do is they would get letters of recommendations from someone or a group that was influential. They would write a letter of recommendation so that when they would travel, they had immediate credibility or immediate credit with others. Now, some would get these recommendations uh, from people that would like falsify the, the letters of recommendations happens in our day as well. I mean, it would be like these letters of recommendations, it would be similar to letters of recommendations like in our day that we may get to either secure a job, uh, to, to get admitted to a college or something like that. And so, but in the ancient world as, as well as our world, sometimes these written testimonials or these written letters didn't mean a whole lot because letters weren't accurate, or sometimes they would falsify the information. I mean, that's, actually, that's what's happening in, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, these, these false prophets that were in their church that had, had risen up, had gone to Jerusalem, met with the Pharisees, and they falsified their letters of recommendations that would try to give them immediate credibility within the church and when they criticized Paul. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard in, in our days sometimes to get genuine letters of recommendations when you're trying to hire an employee, right? Uh, because a previous employer is worried about telling the truth or worried about, about saying some things about the employee because they're in fear of litigation or in fear of, of, of getting sued. Fact is, I recently heard the story about, about a boss that, that he had an employee that was like really lazy. And so he sat down with the employee and says, you know what, I, I have two choices here. I can, I can either, you can either resign and we'll give you two weeks severance and we'll give you a letter of recommendation or we can start walking through the process of termination. And so you choose. The employee says, you know what, I'll, I'll go ahead and resign and then I'll take my two weeks severance and then give me a letter of recommendation, uh, a reference letter. And so the, the supervisor, he, he didn't want to lie, he didn't want to falsify the information. So he thought through it. Here's what he wrote. He says, to, who, to whom it may concern. If you can get Bob Johnson to work for you, you will be extremely fortunate. <laughs> Sometimes letters of recommendations don't mean much. And so Paul was really concerned that they, they wanted something external, a letter of recommendation. So the first thing is this, is when you start looking at this, is we do not get our confidence from people. And there, there's basically what Paul says, there's basically three reasons why. One, I don't know if you realize this or not, people are inconsistent. People are just inconsistent. They can love you one day. They can hate you the next. They can think you're great, you're awesome, you're wonderful one day. And then in another season, they, they can think not so much. I mean, people will approve of you one day, and they'll criticize you the next. People are just inconsistent. Listen, when I was, when I was writing the sermon, I was in my home office. It was November the 8th. I remember that I, because something that had happened that day. And I'm in my home office. I'm writing this message. And all of a sudden, Holy Spirit number two comes into the room. That would be Karen. <laughs> and so Karen, Karen came into the room and she said, hey, I was doing my devotional this morning. And it was her Jesus Always book. It's one of the devotionals that she uses. And so she says, I was reading today. I just felt impressed that you may need this. And so she says, here. And so she gave it to me. And I actually typed it out. And so I just want to quote from Jesus Always about this subject of, of, where, you get, that, of where you get your significance from. And, and so here, here, here's what it says. I'll just quote. 
beware, beware of loving praise from men more than praise from me. One of the effects of the fall is that people are overly concerned about what others think of them, their social or professional performance, their physical attractiveness, advertisement, advertisements for co cosmetics and fashionable clothes can feed this hurtful tendency to be focused on one's image. I don't want you to be preoccupied with how other people view you. I have lovingly shielded you from being able to read the minds of others. What they think of you is really none of your business. People's thoughts are unreliable, distorted by their sinfulness, weaknesses, and insecurities. Even though they praise you to your face, some of their thoughts about you will be quite different. I am the only one who sees you as you truly are. Although you are far from perfect, I view you radiantly clothed in my perfect righteousness. Instead of seeking praise from men, seek to see me looking at you. My approval of you is shining from my face. One of the reasons that we do not seek approval from people is people are inconsistent. The second thing is this, is people just often wrong. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but people are often wrong. I will never forget in 1995 when we planted Fellowship of the Rockies, uh, some of our first services. And fact is, it was one of, our, one of our first services. We had an individual. I was out in the foyer, and I'm like greeting people as people left. And this man walked up to me and looked at me and says, hey, I just got to tell you, uh, I've, I'm born and raised in Pueblo, Colorado. I just need to let you know. I know you're from Texas. I know you guys have planted this church. I know you feel God has called you here. But this style of church will never make it in Pueblo, Colorado. This style of church will never succeed. And he just turned around and walked out. And I was, I was kind of depressed. And so then the next weekend, we do another service. Another individual, a man, walked up to me and says, Is there any way we could do lunch this week? And I said, Absolutely. We scheduled lunch. I went and met him for lunch. And <laughs> for an hour, I listened to him bullet point after bullet point, and he, and he even wrote it out on the napkin so that I could carry the notes with me. And he was explaining to me why our style of ministry would not make it and the things that I would need to change so him and his family can, could continue to attend here and so the church would be successful. He said, you know what? You keep on this track. Your church will never survive in Pueblo, Colorado. Said, Let me just tell you this. Oftentimes, people are wrong. Fortunately for us, we knew God had called us. We had promises in Scripture. We knew God had called us, and our confidence wasn't in what other people thought. Our confidence was in Him. Remember Noah. Noah preached 120 years, and he, the only converts, the only converts that he had was his seven family members. If Noah's confidence had been directly related to the people's response around him, he would, have been, he would have been devastated. Even Listen, even the majority of people can be wrong. Another reason that we, we don't find our confidence in people is because people's tastes can be varied. I mean, what, what one person likes, another person dislikes. And if you, listen, if you, if you live your life trying to please everybody, then you'll ride the roller coaster of emotions. Listen, I've learned this. This is what Paul is saying. The key to success is pleasing God. The key to failure is trying to please everyone. The key to success in your life, the key to success in my life, it's pretty clear in Scripture, is to please God. The key to failure in life 
pretty clear as well in Scripture. Just trying to please everyone because there's no way you'll ever be able to please everyone. Galatians 1.10, Paul's writing, and I'm telling you, this verse gave me so much encouragement. Paul is writing a little bit of his testimony, and he makes this statement. He says, verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? This is the important part. Here we go. If I were still, I'm telling you, in my, my old school print Bible, I, I, circled, I circled the word still. Because that means this was a learned behavior that Paul had to learn in Christian maturity. If I were still trying to please man. In other words, there was a time in Paul's life that he was trying to find his confidence in people and it burned him. It almost destroyed him. And he's coming to the place, he's being honest, and he's saying, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. One man once said, if you, hey, if you want to please everybody, make everybody happy, sell ice cream. Don't become a pastor. Don't lead. Don't follow God. If your sense of security depends on other people's opinions about you, your life, listen, your life is going to be miserable. And this is something, even in Paul's life, this is a learned behavior. This is a part of sanctification. This is a part of Christian maturity. The second thing is this. If you're going to find confidence in life, our confidence comes from what, what God does in our life. Our confidence comes from what God does in our life. It's an inner work in our life. It's a development in our life. See, Paul didn't need to boast in himself. He didn't, he didn't need these letters of recommendations. He didn't need these letters of endorsement some, from some other group or some other man. Because, well, watch this, verse, verse, verse 2. He says, you yourselves, it's important, you yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's endorsements, listen, Paul's endorsements of his ministry were the changed lives, the people that have come to Christ, the people that turned their life around, marriages that were put back together, people that were healed, people that met Christ, people that followed the Lord and believers' baptism. See, for Paul, it wasn't all the externals. It wasn't how many people are viewing the services, how many people are coming to the service, how big our buildings are, how big our crowd is. It wasn't any of that. For Paul, his letter of recommendation is what God was doing in the hearts of people, what God was doing in changed lives. He says, you want to know my endorsement? If you're looking for endorsement, you're one of my endorsements. It's the changed lives. It's the people that you know that were far from God and now they're close to God. It's the people that were now walking with God. Everybody, listen, everybody in the community in Corinth, they could see the legitimacy of his ministry by the lives that had been, and by the lives that had been changed. He uses his word letters all the time, over and over in these verses. And he says, and these letters, you're the letters. You're the letter of recommendation. And then he says, and you're known or you're read by all. And what he's saying is this, is God's people are open letters to their community. Even in our community, there are a lot of people that, guess what? They're, they're not really going to read the Bible. They're not going to tune into a religious broadcast. They're not going to click into a, to a sermon during this time. But guess what? They will read the lives carefully and observe whether the church of Jesus Christ is having a positive effect or a negative effect on us.
it's not just the preachers they're watching. They're watching you. They're watching us. We're, he says, we're an open letter. And we're just an open letter. So last week, I was, I was just told of the story, and I was just moved about in our church. that We had a, we had a couple, and because of some medical challenges, they weren't going to be able to prepare a Thanksgiving meal. Somebody else in our church heard about that, and they said, not in our church. That's not going to happen. And you know what they did? They ended up preparing two Thanksgiving meals. They prepared a Thanksgiving meal for this couple that lives like 45 minutes out of town and that goes to our church. They prepared this meal, and then they drove a long distance to deliver this meal to this couple, and they said, you know what? We want you to have a Thanksgiving meal. I'm telling you. That's the inner work. People observe your life. That's what Paul is saying. That what Paul is saying. We have to understand. I mean, a, a few weeks ago, I, I had a meeting in our office with a with a vendor that we use, and you know, he don't, he doesn't attend our church, but he in the community is aware of our church. And and in, in the midst of the the meeting, he says he's got a little emotion. He says, "Hey, I I, I just got to tell you how much it meant to me." He says, "I I heard in the community that when this church went into a quarantine." The level of ministry that you started doing, unbelievable. I heard the story that when you went into a quarantine, you called your church, your staff, ministry volunteers, whoever. You called everybody in church, 6,500 phone calls. And you asked them, do they, do they have a need? Do they need a buddy? Or would they like a buddy? And then you started linking people up. He says, amazing thing. He said, it's an amazing thing for me to think about that someone would sign up and say, you know what? I'll be a buddy to someone I, just assign me someone. I'll be a buddy to someone I don't even know. I'll be, I don't even know what they need. And the, the world, the world is watching us. See, the world tells you the way that you get confidence is to look within. That I'll be more confident if I get that new car, I get those new clothes, I, I get that promotion or I achieve a, a success. And Paul said it's totally different. Verse, verse 2 again you yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all and show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Paul says the way we gain confidence is when we see life change in the local church. And the, the unchurched, the culture, they, they know a couple of things about Jesus. They know that Jesus, they know that Jesus loved, he cared for the poor, cared for the sick, and Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And they look into the church with some question marks when they don't see that. When they see criticism and they see all those other things, the third and the last thing of how we get confidence in life is this. Our confidence comes only from a reliance on God. Our confidence only comes from a reliance on God. Verse 4, we just walk through these passages. What God says is what his word says. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from what? Our sufficiency is from God. You can read all kinds of books in the world of how to build self-confidence, and they're going to tell you to overcome an inferiority complex. You have, to, you have to look within. You have to believe in yourself. But listen, anybody that's tried that, we know that's not true. If you put confidence, if you put your confidence in yourself alone, that confidence is going to be shaken at some point. No matter how gifted you are, no matter how talented you are, 
You will make some mistakes in life. None of us are perfect. And if you don't come to the place where you distinguish between your worth and your performance, then that's going to be devastating to you. No matter how confident you and I are, we can come up against some things that you cannot control. We're living that right now. We are living that right now. But we can be confident as Christians because we're confident. And our confidence is not in ourselves, but it's in God. Listen, don't place your confidence in people. Don't place your confidence in external things. Place your confidence in Him because His promises are true. His promises never fail. His memory never fades. His, his word is true. His word is reliable. Colossians 1, 11 and 12 say, it says this, being strengthened with the power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who is what? Who has qualified you. That's the, that's, that's the verb form. That's, the, that's out of the same root form in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, sufficiency. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God is the one that has made you confidence. He is the one that strengthens you. He is the one that has gifted you. The secret to understanding our confidence comes from him and not from the externals, not from the things that are outside of us. If, listen, if we're not careful, man, we can go through life in such a way that we think that we have everything under control and that we can control everything, but, but it is a liberating thing. Listen, it's a liberating thing. When you realize you're really not the one in control, he is. And because of that, because of that, you can relax. It's a wonderful day when you realize and I realize he is the one in control. And in this in just a little personal testimony, and we'll move on, but <coughs> when we went into the quarantine and and I I realized it, it became evident when, when we're in this quarantine and I realize there's a lot of factors that I can't control. And I realized, you know what, I, I think I have some control issues. And, and so I started, I, and those that know me probably laughed right now uh, that, wow, I can't believe he finally saw that. And so that I, I might have some control issues, and that's the reason I carry a lot of stress sometimes is because I believe that I can control everything. And if someone, something doesn't turn out with a desired uh, outcome, then I feel like, you know what, I must have been the one that failed because I can control everything. And, and so it's crazy to even think about, but very seldom do I use cruise control on a vehicle because it never goes the speed I want. Sometimes I want to go a little faster. Sometimes I want to get a, go a little slower. I like being in control. Uh, the fact is the only time I really use uh, cruise control is when I'm going back home and we go through Dumas because I don't want a ticket. So I put it right on the speed limit and I get through Dumas and I don't get a ticket and I get, I get back to my mom's house. I've never snow tube. I hate to, I, I don't even, I, the concept just scares me because you're totally out of control. You can't control the speed. You can't control if you slow down. You can't control what hill you go over. You can't control if you hit a tree and all of those other things. And, and so when I came into this, I, I realized that guess what? It was a liberating thing when I realized, you know what? I, I can't control everything. I'm not in control, but I know the one who is in control. And as a result of that, you can start to learn to relax. And you don't carry the weight that you once carried. Ephesians 2, 19 and 22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints and members of the household of God, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He's the foundation in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, he said, he is a cornerstone. He is a foundation. He is in control. You're just the building. The cornerstone was a stone in which the whole weight of the building rested. He's the one that controls. He's the one that carries the weight. All the weight, guess what? All the weight doesn't rest on me and all the weight doesn't rest on you. All the weight rests on Jesus. As a result of that, you can relax in him. Now, if you, if you, if you feel the weight right now, of the Christian life, circumstances that you're walking through, and you feel the weight that is resting on your shoulders, and you're trying to control everything, can I just lovingly tell you, as I've told myself, you're trying to do Jesus' job. And it's not your job. But God has a job for you. And it's being a living letter. That is, that is read by all. Verse 6, and we just end here. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The new covenant, Jesus Christ, came and died on a cross. And he knew you had sin. And he took the burden of your sin and my sin on the cross. And now through him... You can be saved for by grace, what Ephesians tells us, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man can boast. It's coming into a relationship with Him. If you have never accepted Him, if you have never asked Him into your life, I pray that it's just a free gift. It is not by works, so that no man can boast. That you can have a relationship with Jesus right now by asking him to come into your life, forgiving you of your sins, giving you the gift of eternal life, and say, by the best of my ability, I just, I just want to walk with you. I just want to walk with you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you, what does God say to you? What is he saying to you as a result of this message? What is he saying to you as a result of his word? Maybe you need to accept him. Maybe that is your next step. Maybe you need to ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. Maybe you know him. And maybe in this pandemic and in this time, you've been trying to control way too much stuff. You've been carrying the weight on your shoulders and you're doing Jesus' job. And you need to realize that he is in control and that you can trust him. Whatever weight you're carrying, do you need to transfer it to him? Cast all of your burdens. Cast all of your worries on him. For he cares for you. And maybe you just need to pray. And say, Lord, I'm trying to control some things that I can't control. And Lord, I'm going to give you. Because it's giving me anger. It's giving me frustration. Father, we ask that as people make decisions... And, Father, you would come near them. And those that need to accept you, Father, would they accept you. And those that 
Lord, that they just need to transfer some burdens to you. The Lord, that they would be willing to do that. And would they be willing to take whatever their next step is and follow you? For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made a decision of any kind, we'd love to know about that. There's a live prayer button that if you're watching this live, uh, that you can click on and a, a prayer partner will meet you in a virtual room. Uh, there's a connect card. There's a button for that. You can click on that. You fill out that connect card. Hit send and that, that'll get to one of our pastors and we will, we will get in touch with you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this week. Have a great week.